to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and dealt with a passage that uh, I believe correlates hand-in-hand with what we've been discussing in chapter 2 of the book of Ecclesiastes. We find a phrase in Ecclesiastes used over and over again, and that is the phrase, under the sun. And uh, by that, uh, it refers to the fact that this is anything that is done uh, on this earth separate from God. And, And the idea that all these things that Solomon attempts to do over these several chapters uh, are things that he's trying to figure out uh, without God involved in it. And we've learned in the first two chapters very quickly that when you don't involve God in every aspect of your life, uh, Solomon says that all of it is what? What's the word that you use here? What is it? Vanity. Okay, we're not talking about the thing in your bedroom that you sit in front of and brush your hair. All right? Uh, it's, uh, it's all vanity. There is uh, uh, the idea that it is unprofitable to us. It is not of any benefit. Uh, Everything that we do, and we we read a passage a few weeks ago out of Haggai chapter number 1 about the idea that when uh, you uh, keep things, keep God out of things and you focus on just doing things by yourself and separate from God that you uh, try to bring things home. And the Bible said in Haggai chapter number 1 when you brought it home, I did blow upon it, meaning I scattered it, I blew it away. And he said, he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. And it seems like you can never get enough. And um, you talk to people in this world that live a life separate from God, and it doesn't matter how much money they have, does it? They always need a little bit more, don't they? They think that just over the horizon of a little bit more, there's happiness over there. And yet you find some of the poorest people that are some of the most joyful people because they love the Lord with all their hearts. And out of all the people in this world that ought to be people with joy, it ought to be Christians. Whether we have or we have not is completely uh, beside the point as to where our joy rests. But Solomon, in all of this this book, he's trying to uh, go through and tell people, he's a man of wisdom, and he's trying to tell people and share with people his experience and his thoughts about attempting to do what the world said was going to bring fulfillment. And he had watched the wicked. He had watched those that were uh, slothful, those that were away from God, uh, trying to do things away from God. And he had looked at their lives, and he had seen the appeal, the enticement. And can I tell you this tonight, that the world always has some type of an enticement, doesn't it? It always is going to try to entice a Christian. There's going to be some kind of a draw. Uh, we, we, in the day and age we live, one of the big things is, is it exciting? That's kind of the question everybody asks. Is it exciting? And uh, we're going to look tonight, Miss Kim, you're talking about uh, some of the things you're struggling with with church attendance right now and, and the idea of being here but not being here. And we're going to look at some of that tonight in chapter number three. But one of the neat things, or one of the amazing things about it is, uh, so often uh, the world tries to gauge everything by, is it exciting? If it's not exciting, why do I want to participate? And that worldly philosophy and that worldly mindset has crept into our churches, hasn't it? We've gotten to the point where the churches have started saying, uh, we've got to be exciting. We've got to have something fresh. We have to have something, the, 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 the buzzword today is relevant. It's got to be relevant. Can I tell you this? God's Word is always relevant. Amen? It will always meet the answers to our lives, and it will always meet the needs to our lives, and there will never be a time that it won't be relevant. But churches today are, 
are criticizing churches that preach the Bible and feed people Scripture and give them the principles of God's Word, and they say, oh, you've got to be a church that, that meets the, the fleshly needs of the people, the things that they want. And one of the things that they think they need is they need excitement. And so we try to do all kinds of stuff. We try to have uh, big promotions in the church and put uh, rock bands on the stage and have right lighting and all these types of things to try to make it exciting. And Solomon said, when you keep all that stuff away from God and you try to do it separate from God, uh, those things are vanity. And we get to the end of chapter number 2. And I want you to look with me at verse 12. We're going to jump to chapter 3 here in just a moment. We've already read through chapter 2. We took a short break from it last week to go into 1 Corinthians. But I want you to look at chapter, verse number 12 of chapter 2 because it's a key verse to lead us into chapter number 3. Uh, the Solomon now has, at this point in the first part of chapter 2, has, has gone, uh, given his heart to seek after everything there is. He's tried wisdom and knowledge. Uh, he has tried work and labor. Uh, he has tried mirth and merriment. And in verse number 12, he says, And I turned to myself, and notice this, to behold wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do that cometh after the king, even that which hath uh, been already done? And I want to just say this as we get to verse number 12 of this chapter. Solomon said, I had tried doing a lot of things. And he said, finally, I, I got to a place where I thought, well, I'm just going to see if there's something that maybe I'm missing. And he said, I want to behold some things. And so for a portion of his life, uh, according to verse number 12, it says that he turned himself to behold. He turned himself to behold. He wanted to to look around and kind of see what's going on. By the way, can I tell you this, and this isn't part of this message tonight, but can I tell you this? We live in a day where Christians really need to do what the Bible calls walking circumspectly. Christians need to be aware of what's going on in this world. And we need to then apply the truth of God's Word to it. And I think one of the great travesties in the day we live in right now is the fact that a lot of Christians are oblivious. I mean, literally, we are oblivious. We're oblivious to what goes on in our public school system. We are oblivious, in many cases, to what goes on even in politics. We hear only what the media wants us to hear. And there are certainly a lot of things that we are oblivious to. We're oblivious to the condition of our community, the heart condition, the spiritual condition of Jefferson County. In a large part, we're blind to it. And there comes a time when Christians need to kind of wake up and start looking around and seeing what is the condition of Jefferson County? What is the condition of the souls that live here? <coughs> what about the person that lives next to you? What about the person that lives across the street from you? We haven't done it yet. We just had a family move in next door to us last week. And we were pulling out of the driveway the other day. I told Reagan and John, I said, we need to go over there and greet these folks. And let them know, we're, Lord willing, we're going to do that this week. They're, they're right next door to us. And wouldn't it be a shame if, if that person doesn't know Christ as their Savior and they die and go to hell one day and they say, I lived right next door to the preacher, Keith the Heights Baptist Church, and nobody thought to tell me. And so we need to wake up sometimes because we, we, we're, um, if we're not blind to it, we're at least apathetic toward it. Can I say it that way? We, we get to where we get calloused to it. And we don't, we don't have our eyes open looking for those opportunities. And, and uh, like Miss Kim said, there comes times. And Miss Kim, you're not the first person to do that. The pastor has been where you're at. Uh, we all go through it, don't we? 
We all go through times where it just seems like ah, I'm just kind of going through the motions right now. No, it just isn't, it, it, something's not stirring in my heart. And we all go through those times, and there's times in our, in our lives that we need to kind of wake up to some things and look around and see the situation that our society is in and that our community is in and say, what can I do, Lord, to make a difference, to, to, to stir it up a little bit? I was talking to somebody today, and I made this statement to him. I said, listen, if you want to change the future, you have to disturb the present. You can't keep doing the exact same thing over and over and over and over again and expecting it to do something different. And so when we look at our lives and we look at, uh, and, and I'm not going to have you raise hands, I'm not going to have you, I, I, this is a private matter between you and the Lord. But I wonder what would happen if, if we were to ask this question. How many folks, and don't raise your hand and don't tell us how many, but if we were to ask this question, how many folks this year, have you had the privilege to share the gospel with? Some people would not be able to say any. In 12 months, I've not had the privilege one time to share the gospel with somebody. I don't think it's for lack of opportunity. Do you? I mean, we live in a county with almost 200,000 people in it. Uh, there is plenty of opportunity. Uh, but we get, we get sidetracked, don't we? like I am with the message right now. But this is an important point. If we were to say tonight, how, how many people in the last five years have you had the privilege to share the gospel? I'm not saying they got saved, but you had the privilege to share the gospel with them. How about 10 years? How about 15 years? You say, Brother Greg, surely in 15 years somebody has shared the gospel with me. There was a 15-year period of my life that I didn't share the gospel with one person. It was when I was much younger. And I just say that to say we need to wake up sometimes. We need to be aware. And so anyway, let's get back to our message tonight. That, that was for free you didn't like it, we'll give you your money back at the door, all right? Uh, it was, by the way, that, that is biblical. Amen? That is biblical. Verse number 12, he says, And I turned myself to behold wisdom. He's going to look around. He's going to start viewing some things. He wants to see wisdom, and he wants to see the madness, and he wants to see the folly. He said, For what can a man do that cometh after the king, even that which hath already have been already done? He said, I've given myself to so much stuff, there's never going to be anything else. Now, what is it that he observed? He goes down and he, he makes some things that he, almost repetitive, a little bit uh, slightly different. In verse 13, then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly, as far as light excelleth darkness. And a wise man's eyes are in his head, but a fool walketh in darkness. And uh, I feel so often that in, in my life, I've been more in that fool's shoes than I have in the wise man's shoes, haven't you? Uh, there's a lot of times I feel like I've walked in some darkness and wasn't aware of some things. And I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. Then said I in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, that is also, uh, this also is vanity. So he's looking for some things. 
Now, as we get to chapter number 3, we're not going to read through the rest of this chapter. We've already covered pretty much all of that the second week that we uh, were in Ecclesiastes. But look with me, if you will, at chapter number 3. And again, with this idea, the key to it being, as we're leading into it from verse number 12, uh, that he has given himself now to observe. He's given himself to behold, to look on some things. Um, And so he says here in verse number 3, uh, or chapter number 3, verse number 1, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born, a time, yeah, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? Now I want to just stop it for a minute. From verses 1 to 8, we find the word a time mentioned 30 different times. And in each case, Solomon is speaking here of there are times for one thing, and then in, in opposition to that, he gives the exact, the exact antithesis, the opposite of that. For instance, in the very first one, there's a time to be born, and then there's a time to die. And so there are times throughout our lives that we are one way and then times that we're other ways. There are times that we do things one way and times we do things another way. There are times that our motives are one thing and times that they're different. There are times, and this is, again, speaking of a man separate from God. All of these things happen to mankind. Every person goes through seasons. They go through times uh, of appropriateness and lack of appropriateness and trying to gauge between those. Some of these uh, are, are, are somewhat, as we look at them, somewhat, uh, as I thought of them, were somewhat even humorous. I looked at verse number 5, and I found a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. And I thought, you know, when I was a kid and we had to do a garden out in the backyard, we had to go out and move all the stones out of the yard. But when my dad wanted to put rock around the side of the house, we had to go pick up rocks and bring them to the house. And that didn't make any sense to me at all. Greg, go out here and throw these stones away. Oh, now we don't have enough stones. Let's go pick some more up. <laughs> kind of like the army. Hurry up and slow down, right? And, uh, but there are things that we look at, and there are times that our life is one way and times that our life is another way. And he goes through all of these, a time to uh, refrain from embracing, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. And he goes on and on, giving the exact opposites. Somebody said this one time, that life is a pattern of ups and downs. And we have times that there are good times, right? And then there are times that are not so good times. And we've been there. In fact, Paul said it this way, I know both how to be abased and to abound. He knew what it was to have all that he needed 
and plenty extra. He also knew what it was to be in want. He knew what it was to be in a wealthy home and to have everything going well and to have the, uh, the uh, approval of, of his friends. He also knew what it was to be friendless and uh, to say, uh, even uh, Demas hath forsaken me. And the idea that even one of his dear friends and fellow laborers had forsaken him. And one of the great, one of the, the the great Christian characters that I love is only mentioned a couple times in Scripture, but he's mentioned as a co-laborer with the Apostle Paul, and it's Aristarchus. Aristarchus was faithful to him even to the point where he was imprisoned at Rome. And so we all go through these times where we're we're having ups and downs, aren't we? There are times that our friends are near to us. There are times that we feel like there's not a friend around. There's times that we feel like we have a lot of things. Going our way, and financially we pay the bills and have money in the bank at the end of the check writing. Amen. That's always a good thing. Have ex- Ladies, just so you know, just because you have extra checks in the book does not mean that you can just keep writing them. I think most of the men need to learn that lesson, really. But uh, we know what it is to have money in the bank. We know what it is to not be able to pay the bill this week, don't we? We've been there. We know what it is to have great joy. I mean joy that just bubbles up so much you can't hardly stand it. And yet we know what it is to have a broken heart. And God said this in Scripture. Jesus said this. I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And many times in a Christian's life, there are far greater mountaintops than the world experience. Isn't it? But there are also times that the sorrow is far deeper than some of the world experiences. The psalmist got to that point and he said, My feet had well nigh slipped. He said, I was looking at the wicked. And he said, I didn't understand why were the wicked prospering. And he got to that point where he was lower than the the low. He was lower than the world. And so we go through these seasons of times. It's part of life. But we get to verse number 9, and the Bible says this, as Solomon said, What profit hath he that worketh in in that wherein he laboreth? He said we're all struggling through life. We're all trying to make this effort to get through life. And this labor that we're giving, he said, what profit is it? In his mind, whether they were wicked or righteous, the result was the same. In his mind, whether they were poor or rich, the result was the same. They all still had struggles, didn't they? The rich man had struggles. The poor man had struggles. The wicked had struggles. The righteous had struggles. And he said it didn't seem to matter. He said what profit was there in this struggle, in this time that was spent laboring under the sun? Now look what he says in verse number 10. I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men. This this labor of life, if you will. <laughs> this enduring of the ups and the downs. And, and anybody that says life doesn't wear you out, just realize that when you get to the end of it, you're pretty tired, aren't you? It is work. It is what the Bible refers to as travail. But look what he says in verse number 10. I have seen the travail, and this is the key to verse number number 10. 
I have seen the travail which, Lord, are the next three words, God hath given. For just a moment here, in the middle of chapter number three, Solomon breaks his pattern of going through and, and observing man separate from God. And he, he gets to the point where he realizes in the middle of even saying some of this stuff, you can't separate life from God. God's the one that brings it about. And so he's looking here as he gets to verse number 10. He says, I've seen this travail, this up and down, this time for this, this time for that, that man struggles with and travails with. And the Bible says even the earth itself groans, uh, this travail of life, if you will, and which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. This is now things that God brings into this man's life. Not separate from God, but the facts, that, the, the circumstances of life that God brings in it. Notice in verse 10 that he says this, to be exercised in it. Do we understand tonight that as a child of God, there's not one thing that happens in our life that God does not at least allow to happen to our lives? There's not one thing that Satan can do to touch us that God doesn't have to give permission. Now, there are trials, are there not? And there are burdens. But we find in verse number 10 that God gives both blessings and burdens. He gives these ups and these downs, these seasons of one thing and the other for the purpose of exercising us in it. Knowing this, James said, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And let patience have her perfect work. We have ups and downs, Miss Kim, because God's molding us. It's not, it's not something unique to you. It's to everybody. Amen? We've all been there, haven't we? We've had the ups, we've had the downs. And God is using it. To prove us, to try us, to mold us, and to shape us. The key to verse number or chapter number three, we find now in verse number eleven. He that hath made every, or he hath made everything beautiful. And I want you to notice this: Who is the he that he's speaking of here in verse number eleven? God. Okay, the same the same one he was speaking of in verse ten. God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful. Notice this. What are the next three words? In His time. Does that mean that we're always going to see the beauty of the ups and the downs? When I was a kid, we sang a little song in Sunday school that was cute, and it had a real cute jingle to it, and it stuck in your mind and drives you crazy as you get to be an adult. And, uh, but it's got a lot of theology in it. And the song was this. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. And we used to sing that song and not think a lot of it. Thought, well, that's just a good kid song. We had a lot of fun singing it. But you know, there's a lot of truth in it. Because in verse number 11, the Bible says that he hath made everything beautiful in his time. He goes on to say, Solomon, with all this wisdom that he's observing all these things, and he's seeing all these things, in verse number 11 he says this, 
also he hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from beginning to end. Can we see the end? Do we know already the end of what God's purposes are in our life? We don't know that, do we? We, we don't see the beauty of it, but we do know this. We know from verse number 11 that Solomon even said, one thing I have found here, that in verse number 10, when I see the travail that God gives to the sons of men to be exercised in it, he, may, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. doesn't matter whether you're going through the mountaintop or the valley. God is using it. Are you ready? Some of you fellas need to hear this. It might encourage you. To make you beautiful in his time. That's why he gave it. The travail. This, this battle, this struggle of life. The mountaintops, the valleys. So that he can make everything beautiful in his time. He says this, also he hath set the world in their heart. So that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to end. This verse is puzzling to me in this fact. Because even though you and I cannot see the beginning and the end of God's plan, this beauty that he's building, our hearts desire to see it, don't we? We long to understand the beginning and the end of God. We long to have that mind of Christ. It's, it's the idea of, Lord, I want patience and I want it now. And that's the way we live, don't we, as humans? Lord, I want to see the reason why and I want to see it now. I don't want to wait for your time. I'm going through a valley right now, God, and I need some answers. Don't we do that? And Solomon's saying, y'all just be patient. Hold on. He's sending you some of this stuff to travail in so that he can mold and help you be exercised in it so that he can make everything beautiful in his time. We don't see a lot of this in the first half of Ecclesiastes. But right here in the middle of chapter 3, Solomon kind of stops from all of his observations of man outside of God and he says, but wait a minute. God makes it all beautiful in his time. I love eating chocolate cake. It's my favorite. I started a diet yesterday after going to the doctor. <laughs> and uh, I got serious last night. And this morning we were not serious anymore. <laughs> but no, I am serious. And I'm trying to lose some weight for him. And I love chocolate cake, and that's going to be hard for me. I love apple pies and cheesecake, and I mean, I love it all. But I've watched a lot of times when ladies have made cakes, and they put the ingredients in, and they mix it, and we all love to eat the beaters, don't we? But I'll tell you, if we sat there and just ate the dough of the cake without any icing on it, we'd get pretty sick pretty quick. But you put that thing in the oven and you turn it on 300 and whatever degrees to get it to go. And you give it time. And when that thing comes out, it smells so pretty. I mean, it, it just makes me, my mouth starts watering. 
and I don't know about y'all, but mine aches right in the back of my throat when I start smelling that chocolate cake hot out of the oven. And they take that and dump that on the top of the stove and pull that pan off, and they say, oh, no, we can't put the icing on it. we got to let it cool, not me. Who cares about cooling? I want it right now. But I taste it, and without the icing, it's just not quite right. So I have to wait and let it cool. And then the icing comes. And then I sit in my big recliner in the easy room. Amen, Brother Norm? Sit in that recliner, and I let one of my kids bring me a big old slice of cake. And it has taken time, but it is a beautiful sight to behold. And even better to eat. But it took some time. And I know that's a silly illustration, but the truth of the matter is God's doing a work in your life and in my life. And we don't understand His beginning and His end as much as we want to, as much as we strive to, as much as He's put in our hearts to seek after that and to know that. We don't know it. But we can trust this. That He has put these travails in our life to exercise us so that He can make all things beautiful in His time. So give it time. Give it time. Brother Greg, I don't understand why this is happening right now. I am heartbroken. Been there. We went around the room. Almost every one of us would raise a hand and say, been there. But isn't it wonderful to get on the other side of the storm and look back and see how God made it beautiful? That's the fun part. That's the part we can look forward to. Well, we'll end there and pick up next week, all right? Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're thankful for your word. Lord, help us this week not to become discouraged. Lord, there are cycles and seasons in this life that it seems like everyone goes through it. The rich, the poor, the wicked, the righteous, those that are popular, those that are unpopular. Lord, it doesn't seem to matter. But one thing matters, and that is when we let you bring things into our life. When we yield ourselves to your leading and your direction, and we don't exclude you from our life, that even though there's travail there, Lord, you're exercising us. You're working things to make all things beautiful in your time. So, Father, while we may not understand it, while we may be heartbroken in the valley, Lord, may we have great peace that we can trust that it will all be made beautiful in your time. Dismiss us now with your blessings. We pray this week and use us to make a difference in our county and our community. Give us opportunity. Help us to see the opportunities you provide. To share the gospel with those that need to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.